there's trophy child, your parents live through you, but your parents couldn't fulfill the sport. And there's, you're put on a pedestal out of all the siblings. Like golden child type. And then they're using you as like a trophy to like show. Welcome to Beyond the Bench. We're your hosts, Kyla, Sam, and Jazra. Join the huddle as we tackle different mental illnesses and athletics each week and discuss how you could possibly grow from these setbacks. Now, warm up, get ready, and let's get our head in the game. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about trophy child syndrome. This syndrome is when a parent sees their child as an extension of themselves and the child becomes living validation of the parent's own self-worth. They value those children that make them look more successful to outsiders. To put it simply, it is when the parent fulfills their unmet dreams through their children. Usually, the children know that it is not who they are that is important, but what they do. We're joined with special guest Val Salas. She is a basketball teammate. No, not basketball. <laughs> Sorry, that's Sorry, volleyball teammate to Sam Rico. Hey, y'all. Thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. We were super excited to ask you. It's exciting. I mean, right? This how do you fun. feel being on a podcast? This is fun. This is new, but it's fun. You're helping people. Out. You're helping different kids out there that have the same yeah, issues. Yeah, exactly. Helping people realize this whole podcast is kind of, I guess, a wake-up call to people that think that they are just going through this by themselves or they're the only one that feel isolated when really there's so many more athletes that are out there that have these same mental illnesses or situations in their life. So this is just a little bit of, I guess, reassurance to those athletes that think that they're alone. Right. Especially like whenever you are in like the athletic field, it seems like we're just players and just that. And there is like a facade kind of that we put up and a face that we put up when in reality there are things behind the scenes. And I'm really glad we're talking about mental illnesses that aren't as talked about. Everyone talks about depression and anxiety, but I don't think many people know trophy child syndrome. They may not have a name for what they're feeling and experiencing. And honestly, I feel like almost every, you know, typical athlete family either has the first type, I guess we're going to call it, that we were talking about with their parents living through their children or the second type where there's multiple siblings and there's one that like is superstar, quote unquote, and they try to push them as far as they can and, you know, try to live through that one child. And then that child, you know, gets all the pressure and is put onto a pedestal. So I honestly feel like it's more common than people think. Yeah. I feel like a child can see themselves as the trophy child without their parents putting it on them. So it's not even an environment thing. Honestly, and I was thinking with nowadays, social media can also create that monster without, you know, your parents having to do that, whether it's your parents support you, but you see on social media that this person is like this in this sport and you're like, dang, I want to be like that. And then they try and put it, stress themselves so much. Like I know when I was growing up in high school, mainly whenever basketball started getting really serious for me, like training, there would be some of my teammates or former teammates or people that I knew that would train every single day but like two a days and for like unreasonable amounts like you have to let your body rest like they put their themselves on so much stress they like created the trophy child like they created them themselves mm -hmm. so that might have a different name but basically some of it was a little bit of their parents but some of it was also like they want to do good and they want to get here and all this stuff which is great working hard is great but you have to have a balance between rest and 
working hard. And that's kind of what you were talking to me about, about with you yeah. and your family. So no, you want to kind of sure. get into that? Yeah. No, actually growing up, especially like in high school, when I actually like started taking volleyball very seriously, it was like I'm the oldest of three. Right. So I had to go at six in the morning every day to workouts. I had workouts till about eight, had breakfast and had another clinic session. And then I would get like a little bit of a break and then I do plyos. So a bunch of jumping because I had to have the best vertical according to my parents. I had to be the best athlete. I had to be the most hardworking athlete in the room. But now I see, so my sister, she's four years younger than me, right? And she doesn't have to go to every workout. She doesn't have to do all these things that I was told that it was my standard. Like it was no matter how hard I was trying, it was still kind of like not enough kind of thing. And so I had to live up to that every summer, every day, every in class, in my academics, in my athletics, I had to be the best. You were kind of put like a trial run, basically. Yeah. Guinea pig. Guinea yeah, pig, exactly. yes, that's good. Yeah. And so now your siblings are like following your footsteps because mm -hmm. of that too. Yeah. So that's hard, like basically your front line. And then it's almost like just like any athlete, you have less room for error. Right. And then that's whenever your siblings kind of learn from you. And right. then your parents like put you at a very high standard because you are basically a teacher to your younger siblings. Right. I was going to say, when you said you were the oldest, I was like, oh, Lord. Yeah, that doesn't help you. Yeah, it doesn't no, no, Because you already have a lot of pressure as being the oldest child. And then you said you have a sister and, and a younger brother. Okay, so basically what Sam was saying, you're teaching your younger siblings and you have that stress alone, whether you play right. sports or not. Mm -hmm. So you could teach them academically and just like with life skills in general mm -hmm. or just around the house, whatever it be. And then you have to set the example of, okay, y'all want to be athletes, y'all have to be like me. Right. So also wondering how that affects your younger siblings too. Right. And that is one thing with my sister. She's kind of leaning into that as well. And I think she would fit more into that third type that we were talking about earlier where she is the one that my parents boast about more. Oh, okay. So I'm definitely held to that standard to the point where even in volleyball, like there is so much perfectionism in the way I play. Mm -hmm. And so much pressure that I put on myself that nobody's actually putting that pressure on me. But because I have to fill that standard that my parents set when I was younger, like it's a constant thought. And now with my younger sister, she plays volleyball as well. Now it's like she has to make sure she's playing at the highest level athletically. Mm -hmm. So she fits that. Oh, my daughter does this. My yeah. daughter is this. So she can reach your the point that you had reached. Exactly. Uh, so I do want to ask, you were talking about how your younger sister was the third type where your parents boast about her and brag on her wherever they may be. Did your parents do that for you whenever you were growing up? They did. I didn't have a whole lot of accomplishments, but the ones that I did, it was like they don't post a lot on social media. But when they do, it is, this is what my child accomplished. This is what my child did. They, I remember growing up, we would have family friends come over and they were out of state and they'd stay in our house. And literally the weekend, we'd spend the whole time cleaning and stuff. But we had to make sure that our medals were hanged up where everybody could see them. That wasn't an us thing. That was my parents. And not in a bragging way, but, and I'm sure they were proud and, and I'm very grateful for them, but it was something that as a child, you realize, oh, I have to make sure I have the medals. I have to make sure I'm getting the awards. I have to make sure I'm playing my best. I'm getting athlete of the week, you know? So I was going to say, as a child, how do you think that being programmed into your brain 
affected you like going through middle school and high school and even to college now academically on the court off the court even with like friends and that kind of thing like socially growing up Again, like it was very difficult. I had reached and I realized it earlier because I'm about to graduate in about a year. And I realized it recently, actually, that I do live to a perfectionist standard. So in everything that I do, I have literally just last semester, if I were to get a B on something, like it would be a breakdown. If I were to have a bad practice, that was the end of my day. That was the worst, right? Because I just couldn't mess up there is this thing instilled in me where I had to be the best and if I wasn't the best you weren't enough in a sense and so to me when I had to be the best worker again like it was all about perfect form perfect practice it had definitely gotten to the point where I'm very like tough person when it comes to like crying and stuff yeah like practices and stuff Mm -hmm. because my thing was you don't cry it in game and you don't cry at practice you cry in the car or in your room because you have to show you can't show that you're weak that was Mm -hmm. what I was taught you know and it got so bad to the point that I did cry at practice it was like I was just frustrated and I wasn't passing bad but it wasn't perfect and our coach likes to put like a little box to where our target is Mm -hmm. and if we don't pass it there then it's not perfect but Mm -hmm. really he just wants it as a visual but in my head it's like because I was taught like that I have to hit that spot and when I wasn't consistently we had to do two push-ups for example if we missed or something and so I got to the point where I was just doing push-ups the whole time I was like you know what I'm not even gonna try because I'm just gonna fail so your parents validation it's gonna come either way do you see it as oh, I I constantly need their validation? Or do you see it, I guess, more negatively? Like, well, everything I do isn't going to be good enough. Then why do I need it anyway? You're always going to be pushing me to be better. So why do I even want to be? Right. You're never content with what I've done. You're never Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Yes. I, I think as a trophy child, I think I view it more in the sense like I have to be enough for my parents. It's because especially for me, like my parents were always like, we do this for you and we do this for you. And club volleyball is so expensive. Oh and they push that. And we talked about this in our introduction. Yes. Continue, sorry. Yeah. And so it built in me like, oh, I have to be grateful. And not that I'm not. I'm very much grateful. I think it just taught me to be like, I have to be enough for my parents. I have to make sure I look good for them. Talking to you is making me realize that I have a slight little bit of trophy child yeah. syndrome. Like, I'm just now starting to realize. Like, growing up, I would always hear about, like, well, this is so expensive. Like, we're paying for all this. Like, you have to do something with it because you're not just going to play club and then be like, okay, I'm done. Like, that was fun. My family was not like that. Like, I'm not going to say I could have quit anytime I want to because I know that's not true, but it would feel like a waste. I feel like I would feel like I wasted their money to just do a hobby that was like thousands of dollars every year. And we didn't really go on like family vacations, but we made my basketball tournaments the family vacations. Oh, yeah. So when we went to Vegas, that was a vacation. We went to Chicago. That was vacation. And then that turns into parents post about all these places you're going to. And they're like, look, because my daughter's doing this. I do want to add, though, like with what you were saying, I remember when I was little, like it was crazy because my we my dad had just started paying for club. It was like my first year. And so we would we didn't have enough to 
actually practice at a gym. So he would coach me right outside my house. Oh, yeah, yeah driveway. driveway. And it was crazy because I remember the perfectionism even instilled then because it was like I was 12 years old learning how to pass volleyball. And he would like down ball at me and I would like shank it or like I wouldn't get it and how he wanted it and he was like well if you're not going to pass it if you're not going to pass this one then I'm not going to pay for club and then I wouldn't pass it and then he would walk in and storm in the house and it was over and over and over and he did pay because he wanted me to get better but the way and the method he did it instilled in me that I have to live up to perfection yeah he threatened it he like made an ultimatum with this one pass right so yeah. I know when we had games, your parents wouldn't come to a lot of the games. So right. did you feel like it was different when your parents weren't there and then when they were? Yes. 100%. Oh, yeah. I it was that. crazy. My parents, my dad specifically, would go to every practice growing up, every game growing up. There is nothing he was not going to. When I got into college, obviously they live semi-far, but when they didn't, I was able to play with a free mind because I had no one really looking at me, at least in my mind, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But when they would show up and I did get in the court, it was kind of like I had to make sure I had looked good for them. It wasn't necessarily for my coach or my teammates or the people in the stands or, you know, the cute guy in the stands that I kept watching, you know. No, it was it was for my parents. I had to make sure that when I got at that game, I knew my dad was going to go up to me and be like, well, this is what you did wrong. This is what you did right. This is how many digs you got. This is it. You know, this is what you need to get better at. Like, it was never, hey, good job. So you recently realized that this was an issue. And when you realized so, were you like, dang, okay, moving on? Or did you actually take the time to be like, I need to fix this? And like you were saying, when you have a bad practice and day's over or whenever you would get a bad grade, for you, because honestly, I think A's and B's, that's cool. D's get degrees. D's Call. do get degrees. <laughs> but, um, like, that's your standard. Like, you get A's. And so if you were to get a bad grade or have a bad practice, have you found a way to manage that feeling of feeling imperfect or flawed or, like, you failed yet? I think I have. Um, it definitely became a lot of my identity for a long time. So when you've lived, again, we're talking like this, these are things that I've experienced since I even started playing. So I started playing when I was like nine um, and I started competitively playing when I was 12. So I've had volleyball in my life for like ever and it became my identity. The way my parents viewed me in that sense became who I was. And so it's really hard. I won't say like I'm very perfect at it and I'm on top of it all the time, but I do believe it has to be something super intentional. Like you have to walk into practice knowing this is for fun. Like, yes, I'm in college to play volleyball, but I'm in college first of all to get my degree. And, you know, and more than anything, like even when it comes to my grades, I'm in college to learn, right? It's not just the grades. It's not just a degree. When I'm learning and I'm getting something from it, then I'm growing, right? And so I had to let go intentionally of I don't have to be perfect. It's okay if today I just did the workout. You know, it's okay if today I was sore and I needed to be dialed down a little bit, you know. It's almost like sports kind of like programmed student athletes to do that too like you have to be perfect at your sport so then that builds that competitive side right and then you have to be perfect in your grades too because well i guess not for everyone but i feel like for majority because of eligibility 
That's the Facts. main thing. You have to Facts. stay eligible. You have to have a certain amount of hours. So you have to push yourself to be you good academically. Fail. Yes. You, you can't, can't fail. You, you or can't you, fail. You can't play. I know y'all have heard the saying growing up. You fail, you don't play. No pass, yes. no, no play. pass, no, no play. Yep. And most teams I've ever been on, the coach is always pushing us to do as good as we can in the classroom. Yes, and also, like, we have assigned team study hall to mm. push the point of, like, yes, you're here for your grades and stuff, but it's more so, let's be honest, for the no pass, no play. Yeah. One last question before we wrap this up. Val, looking back, what do you wish you would have known? I wish I would have known that it really wasn't that serious, that my identity is not based on a less than like two pound ball and where that ball goes, that it's really in the sense of the word, it's very like just out there, like it's not that serious in simple words, but really like your identity is based on so much more and your self-worth is based on so much more than just passing a ball than just doing the athletic stuff, you know, it's more than being put on a pedestal from when you were young, you know, like I, I love my parents, but even we're going to be parents and we're going to mess up too, you know, and we're not always right in general. They're not always right. And I think I would have, I wish I would have known that my parents loved me. And if they didn't love me, even with that pedestal, then they were in the wrong and it wasn't going to be on me. All right. Well, thank you, Val, for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. This was You're fun. awesome for coming yeah. in. Thanks for sharing oh, your thank story. You. Yeah, thank you. We talked to OU offensive lineman Tyler Guyton in order to get the male's perspective on trophy child syndrome. One of the roles of a man in a household is to provide, and he feels like he must do that for his family by playing football. Football has become more than just something he loves, but also a job that will take care of the people he loves. This also carries over to his friendships as he always puts their needs above his own. He said it's hard to open up to his teammates and his friends, especially family, because he has been the strong one in his family. He feels like he has to keep everything bottled in and play it cool since all eyes are on him. He feels most valued when he is providing. Given the different societal roles placed on women versus men, this makes complete sense that his trophy child syndrome would present itself with his need to protect and provide. Luckily for us, we'll be able to dive deeper into Tyler's story on our depression episode coming in a few weeks, so don't forget to tune in. We've got a little bit of a real-life example on, I guess, a lower scale, more relatable scale because we have an athlete that's here with us in college, but a real-life example that is on a high scale that's always being watched is LeVar Ball in the Ball family. If you have not heard, the Ball family is a basketball family. That contains LeVar Ball, which is the father to Leangelo, Lonzo, and LaMelo Ball. They're all basketball players who play professionally now, but growing up, whenever they were in high school, is kind of when they got their claim to fame. LeVar Ball is kind of a powerhouse dad. He's a media personality and also a businessman who seems to be the face and most times the mouth behind the Ball family in the basketball dynasty. The Ball family's rise to fame was the intense parenting style that was displayed constantly by LeVar Ball and had showcased to the media. He was seen as a bad sports parent. Now, what is a bad sports parent? It's basically someone, you know, talking about the trophy child syndrome. And, you know, we haven't talked to LiAngelo, Lonzo, and LaMelo. We don't know if they have trophy child syndrome. But from what we've observed, 
they have the father for it. So we would not be surprised. LeVar Ball was actually an athlete himself early in his life. He was a top-notch football player, according to himself, in high school and in college. He claims to be better than the former NFL player Rob Gronkowski and that he would allegedly beat NBA legend Michael Jordan with one arm tied behind his back. That is an actual quote from his mouth. Awesome. Now, someone with that mindset, it could be just for the media and like the press and the news and all that stuff, but it's the fact that his dad was almost like a helicopter parent and like pushed him out into the media and basically created like this persona for himself and the ball family as, oh, I'm the crazy dad, but I don't care because we're getting press and my kids are tough and all this stuff. And so, despite, you know, these outlandish statements that he had made, He never actually made it to compete in the NFL, which also stems from the first type we were talking about, how the parents don't get to fulfill their own dreams and their own successes. So they push on to their kids. And now, obviously, all three of them are playing um, NBA or they played Euro, which is amazing. But these failed aspirations can cause parents to push their old dreams onto their children, which in turn can cause trophy child syndrome. The mental health implications of this type of parenting style, while well-intentioned, is strong and overbearing, which may have a negative effect on a child's future decision-making capabilities, self-worth, and personal responsibility. Basically, in a nutshell, creates trophy child syndrome. The funniest thing is I first heard about the Ball brothers whenever LaMelo put in high school earlier than he's supposed to be so that all three of the brothers could play in high school together. I remember that. I mean, if that just doesn't perfectly encapsulate Father Ball's mentality. Father Ball. Yeah, he, um, he's crazy. We had the opportunity to talk to sports psychologist Dr. Julie Warnick to get some insight from a professional. Let's hear what she has to say about trophy child syndrome. So, Dr. Warnick, what is a parent's role in trophy child syndrome? There's a lot of uh, the psychology of family, the psychology of of parenting. You know, I have parents that come to my office and, um, you know, and a lot of the parents, the first one is actually significant um, because the problem with mental health is, you know, when we, you know, us, us athletes have a coach and the coach helps to point out um, like, for example, in basketball, your free throw, your shot, your movement, in softball, your swing, um, your technical coach. So we have that. But there's really not a whole lot for mental health because the only way for you to know your own stuff is to actually, like, openly talk. So most people don't actually go into a therapist's office and talk to a what I call a coach. A coach is like me, right? I When people are kind of talking, they're kind of performing, and then they gain awareness into who they are. The problem is most people aren't doing that. And so many parents, now I went into counseling and I really did a deep dive into who I was because I didn't want to bring a lot of my own issues or my own, um, I want to be very aware of who I was as a parent. So I wouldn't do some of this trophy stuff. But a lot of the parents that I see, they don't have a lot of self-awareness. And so, yeah, do they have, like, for example, a parent who was not encouraged to play sports. So the parents really never were there. Um, they really weren't encouraged. And they think, oh my God, like if I only had like the resources you guys have, if I only had a coach, great coach, if I only had a private. And so they project a lot of their unresolved, un, you know, stuff onto their children, you know. So that would be a first example where, you know, there's many stories I have, you know, where a guy was in college baseball and he quit early. If only had I stayed and then they wound up pushing their kids too much. To go 
a little bit into the trophy child syndrome on the second type where it's more of the one child that's held to that higher standard and on the pedestal and almost where the quote-unquote non-trophy children are in a way ignored. How does that affect the children that are ignored? The the parents may not have the insight to think that they're at fault or that it's not a problem. So I think sometimes the child doesn't just see the behavior, but the parent may not ever apologize or take responsibility. And that's a problem that the parent may not admit it. You know, I think our culture overvalues athletes, you know, because um, so that's a tough question, you know, and apparently it's coming from somewhere. So I'm curious, did any of you guys experience that in your family or where? So for my parents, I was like the one like, oh, college athlete, like, go play, you know, and they invested like all this money into me and like for AAU and club ball and I'm traveling. And so we would be out of town often. We'd always be at training or practice. And so my siblings were kind of left home, Mm. like to not necessarily sit around, but like they're not involved and they're not like getting as much time with my mother as I did. Well, it happens a lot. I mean, that's, you're right. For parents, you know, who are listening, obviously that's wrong to do that. That just because someone's not an athlete doesn't mean they're not as important. And, and I think parents need to be able to spend time with all the children. And so I guess the person who hasn't gotten the attention or the non-athlete, you know, a part of it is grieving because they're like, you know, why isn't mom and dad, why aren't they spending time with me? Why aren't they valuing who I am other than the athlete? Because you're right. We, we do our culture puts so much, you know, oh, we want our kids to be college athletes and they're overvaluing. And it's not even that spectacular. I I was a college athlete and a lot of my athletes in college aren't even that happy. So it's a rat race these parents are in. And I always tell parents when I work with them, like, I'm not here to make your kid an NBA athlete. I'm here to develop their potential in their mental health as a person, their happiness, their enjoyment, their relationships with you guys. And if it's a side effect for me to help a point guard, you know, score 20 points, yes, I'm going to help them with that. But more importantly is like, who are they other than sport? What is their identity? Because they're going to be done like me. And I picked a career as a psychologist. And so I try to talk to parents about, you know, making sure that they value other kids. And so we over emphasize and overvalue sports. The child who's neglected has grieving to do because they're probably angry and sad. You know, why did mom spend, why was she gone every weekend with so-and-so? You know, I think my brothers even had maybe a little resentment because I was the more athletic one. I mean, my brothers are great athletes, but I went further in sports and so they were gone. And I think some of them did develop a little bit of maybe a jealousy or a complex for me. Um, but I went to counseling and I dealt with my issues and they have the right to go to counseling and grieve and, you know, and then forgive their parents. Now, ideally a parent would apologize and say, you know what, I did spend a lot more time with her and I'm sorry I didn't spend time with you. And that's very healing. But in many cases, parents don't have the insight to apologize. And so the child has to grieve and move on and forgive and have to love themselves for who they are. So that's a a tough, long journey that a lot of people don't do. And they develop maybe a lot of insecurities and depression in their adult life. That was Dr. Warnick. She has her own podcast, Getting Gritty with Dr. J. So go visit her website linked in the episode description and give her podcast a listen anywhere you stream podcasts. For more resources and help, please reach out to someone you trust, know, or feel comfortable talking to. If you don't have anybody, please contact the Crisis Hotline at 1-800-273-8255.
Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bench. You don't want to miss out on the next episode, so be sure and join us next week as we talk about burnout. And remember, we have a new episode released every Monday, so don't forget to tune in.